Hello everybody, this is Brian Janikowski, Friday, August the 24th, I'm Christian Thwaites. I'm Emily Tegan-Vertz, and let's get started with this week's Market Chat. So Christian, we had a lot of political news this week. Um, we had uh, the former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, uh, convicted. Uh, Michael Cohen, Trump's personal attorney, pleading guilty to a number of, of charges. Do political crises like this affect the stock market? That's a really difficult question. In fact, you know, this week we went back and looked at some of the, you know, stock market behavior and indeed bonds and gold and foreign exchange to kind of, because those are the sort of, you know, the ones that would sort of react if there was uh, perceived to be a big crisis. And so we looked at just a couple, a couple of them to see what happened with the Nixon impeachment movements and the, uh, and the Clinton ones and a couple of other international ones which we've thrown in the blog. And the short answer is it's very difficult to discern between what's the political side of it and uh, and what are the other kind of exogenous factors going on at the time. What's going on in the economy? What's going on with growth? What's going on with inflation? You know, so to, so divorce, to divorce the financial markets from the political markets is quite difficult. But I would say that in two of the cases, the markets went up. Nixon's, Nixon went sideways. Uh, Clinton went up quite strongly. The other two, the German and the Korean example we put in, uh, we're down a little bit and up a lot. Um, so I, I think the market is becoming somewhat inured to the politics. Meanwhile, it's taking its read from the underlying fundamentals of the economy, which are currently quite good. The third quarter is probably coming in at 3 3%. We know that there's kind of problems storing up for the future, but right now uh, the economy is doing rather well and, and, and confidence as a whole is not too, uh, is not too sort of, battered by the uh, political fallout. Mm -hmm. What if we were to see um, the, the political issues, um, let's say, for example, Mueller's investigation kind of closing in on the president, what if we were to see the political news affecting the policy? So for example, Mueller's closing in on Trump, Trump decides to start a trade war to distract from that investigation. Yeah. Is that where we would see the markets then um, react to that sort of action. Sure, that's where the wild card comes in. Um, so, uh, yes, if there's a kind of a distracting uh, policy or strategy that goes on to sort of deflect the attention away into something uh, bigger, which which would affect finances, and that could that could be bigger. Um, but again, the market might look through that and say, well, this is a sort of an end game. It's only going to happen for another six months until somebody you know, comes in and starts to reverse this stuff. So, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. And I think while we care a lot about politics personally, um, the market cares a little bit less by it. It's sort of seen it's quite cold blooded about it and just said, well, what, what's the effect on corporate earnings, regulation, inflation, uh, confidence? And if these things just kind of stay uh, reasonably solid, or even if they take a little bit of a hit, it's not a major sort of uh, way to throw the economy off its off its guidelines. So, yeah, we'll wait and see. But um, but so far, the market is uh, is kind of shrugging and uh, and moving on. There's this wonderful old um, you know Arab saying: the Bedouins are like the dogs bark, the caravan moves on. And what we've got here is sort of the caravan of the market. And interest rates and the bond market kind of moving on a little bit oblivious, but not ignorant of the political uh, political movements and noise. So specifically on, on the trade issues, 
we haven't seen a full large-scale trade war, and maybe there won't be. But there is some uncertainty in terms of what the end game is for the Trump administration um, around what they would like to secure um, to, deal, to, to make a deal with the Chinese. Can the market keep kind of going along? Um, and how far can it keep going along with this uncertainty in trade? Yeah, again, a, a good question. And, um, you know, we, we run the numbers, you know, if there's a maximum amount of tariff on every single Chinese and European good coming into the country, and you end up with a, num a number which is, you know, quite dispiriting. There's potentially sort of two and a half, two and a half trillion dollars of Im exports and imports. So if they were to be, uh, you know, have, have full 10% uh, tariffs, it would have a pretty disastrous effect. But... Uh, again, I think the market sort of waiting to see how this all plays up. Is is the noise and the threat bluster, or is it really going to be carried through? You know, in the teeth of this pretty quiet opposition right now. In fact, you'd hardly know there was any from the corporate world. But you know, what happens if those companies just say, "Like, hang on a minute, you're completely destroying our markets in, you know, China, Western Europe, you know, other places, and we're going to be losing a lot of business and a lot of uh, and a lot of profits, a lot of jobs if, if this kind of thing goes through. So I, I think we just have to kind of wait for this to play out. It, if anything, the last 18 months of the Trump administration have, from an economic point of view, have been uh, a, a lot of noise but um, and, and a lot of concern, but no sort of really lasting damaging policies have been put in place. And I think that's where the market is right now, rightly or wrongly. I think generally rightly. Another big story this week that we saw mainly all over the place was um, uh, the longest bull market ever. Um, and we <laughs> yeah. saw those headlines everywhere. Could you just give us uh, a little bit of, and your thoughts on that milestone, what it means, um, and is it is it even significant? Well, it's, I don't think it is very significant. I think, I think in the past, we had a bull and a bear market. You sort of, you felt it by sort of sensory touch. You, you, confidence was good. Earnings were good. The economy was moving along. Uh, and then somebody came along and said, ah, but a bear market means uh, a 20% drop and a, and a bull market and a bear a correction means a 10% drop. And they kind of put these very rigid guidelines, which I kind of think is nonsense because if you get to 9.99%, it's technically not a correction. If you get to 19.99%, it's technically not a bear market. It'll certainly feel like one. Uh, and, and so, you know, putting a label on it isn't very helpful. And so the, these kind of, I think these are fairly sort of modern interpretations of mm. the market. And so, yes, we've had the longest uh, move, I think, in modern times from, uh, from 2009 to now, where there's been no 20% drop in the market. But but really I, I think um, we've had much longer periods where we've where we've had a couple of uh, sh very short term uh, uh, falls of 20%. Between 1982 and 2000 the market was up I think 1300%, something like that. Yes, there were two times in there when it fell less than 20%. The first time was in, two, in 1987 and the second time was briefly at the time of the um, uh, uh, um, first Iraq uh, war, but so they broached twenty percent. They didn't stay very long. So that was really, a, you know, in my view, an eighteen-year bull market. And we should really track the bull market today, not from two thousand and nine, but from two thousand. And from that perspective, 
it is um, it's not it's not a very robust bull market. You've only actually made about eighty six percent in that eighteen years, which is mm. a compound rate of about three and a half percent. So so that is that I think is the time to take it. Say, so look, over the eighteen years, stocks have been okay, but point to point, nothing to write home about, and are not nearly as strong as the prior bull market. So I think we've got you know more to run. Uh, there isn't a kind of a natural death to bull markets. Something needs to happen. Um, mm. But I would say that this one is nothing like the two 18-year periods we had from 1982 to uh, to 2000, and the other one was from 1950 to 1968. So uh, I think those are the ones to look at. By that, and the, by those measures, this bull market is not, a not particularly long, and b not particularly robust. I've also heard this current bull market that we're in described as the the most hated bull market in Absolutely. history. Absolutely. Just because, you know, as you said, usually um, when you have bull markets, you have consumer confidence is very high, business confidence yeah. is very high, and we haven't seen that over the last 10 years. No. And again, I think if you take it point to point from 18 years, people have been through two, you know, shattering bear markets where, uh, and if you turned up uh, to most investors in 2000 and said, for the next 18 years, you're going to get less than a 10-year treasury rate in stocks. So it has said, show me the 10-year treasury rate. I don't need that kind of grief. And so it hasn't been particularly strong. And it has been, I think, hated bits because of the kind of sheer misery that people went through, uh, especially in sort of 2000 and 2009 and 10. And as we've mentioned here, talked here before, you've got to remember this, this bottoming out of the economy to now has not been particularly great. It's not been a particularly strong recovery as measured by labor participation mm -hmm. snap back from the you know from the sort of depths of the recession return to trend growth we've still not back to trend growth um, you know capacity all these things so this kind of not so great recovery has been a not so great bull market mm -hmm. so all the hullabaloo this this week about the longest bull market in history uh, the headlines are perhaps inconsistent with actual investor experience yeah I think so and yes it's nice that we're now we've got good one three, five, and 10-year rolling numbers. The 20-year rolling numbers, not that great, but uh, it was a lot less. But, you know, that is good. And if you just sort of stuck with a good investment program for the last 10 years, you know, you're now sitting on some pretty good returns, which is, you know, what investors should get for taking the equity risk. Um, so let's talk about what the Fed has been up to. Uh, Chairman Powell spoke at the Jackson Hole Symposium this week. Um, just tell us a little bit about what you think their outlook may be. They're continue, probably going to continue to raise rates. Um, but do you see any sort of the political pressure that um, the president has um, perhaps put to bear on them as affecting their policy in the future? Well, I think the answer to that very important question is no. I, I don't think Chairman Powell and uh, uh, Esther George or George Esther, you know, the uh, um, Kansas, I think, uh, Fed came out and said that they're just not going to pay any attention to that. And I think they won't. Um, so I, I think their independence is, is, is assured. We shouldn't worry about a Fed, which is unduly influenced by the White House, um, certainly for now. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, between the minutes and the, and the speech at Jackson Hole, there was sort of a reaffirmation on inflation not being a major problem, emerging markets being a potential problem, but not um, but not, nothing uh, dire right now. What was interesting is, and this, this I think is Powell's background as a, as a business and investment guy. He used to work for Carlisle or KKR or one of those guys. But anyway, uh, about really paying attention to some of the sort of financial instability. He brought that up a lot. Now, I don't, 
certainly under the Greenspan Fed, a little bit under the Bernanke Fed, there, there was very little, you know, alluding to the markets, um, you know, leverage or what the bond markets were saying. In hindsight, big mistake under the Greenspan time. And I think Powell, the fact that he's mentioning it means he's looking at what the financial markets are saying. He's looking at if there's any kind of credit buildup or bubble, if there's any sort of asset bubble that they should be paying attention to, if there's any kind of feedback on, on bonds or stocks, including international, which they need to take account of, which wouldn't show up in just their normal metrics of unemployment inflation. So I think it's very good news. Um, you also wrote about housing this week. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got all of these different indicators that we're watching. Housing starts, that's down 12% from a few months ago. New home sales, that's also down about 5%. Um, existing home sales down about 5%. Are we looking at a housing bust? No, no. I, I, well, for a start, I think, you know, the, the, the market isn't particularly uh, robust. Now, we live in the Bay Area, and, uh, you know, the Bay Area is not the United States by a long shot. Now, we've got some sort of, you know, crazy housing and, and property uh, bubbles going on in this area, but I think if you look at it on a national perspective, we've seen a you know fairly modest again housing recovery from the bottom. It's it's got up there, but housing starts are almost half what they were in the pre two thousand and nine peak, and this is actually good to see. So while while those numbers are all a little bit low, I feel quite encouraged by those because I don't think the housing market is rolling over, but nor is it sort of going gangbusters. I'd be more more worried if it was going gangbusters. And so you know, housing starts and new home sales are kind of indication of good economic uh, you know, momentum. And those were down a little, a little bit, not, not alarmingly so, but, um, but I think for now we're looking at a fairly, you know, fairly stable housing market. Yeah, sure, some pockets. I wouldn't be wanting to buy, be a first-time buyer in San Francisco or New York or Washington. But, uh, but I think generally as a whole, we're, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape, which is great because if you get a problem – as I mentioned, in banking or property, uh, you got a, you got a much bigger problem because um, because those tend to have a much more kind of systemic fallout uh, than uh, than just regular you know co commercial borrowing. Um, as we've seen before. Right? As we've seen before. So if you get if you get something that hits the entire banking system, <laughs> it can be a, a major problem. Sure. Um, so I also, lastly, well, actually, maybe one more. I want to talk about the yield curve because yeah. we have seen it narrowing, and people like to uh, look to the yield curve and point at it, point at it as um, something of a precursor to a recession. Is that how you feel about this? Um, it has been, but it's been unreliable as to how much of a precursor. Yes, it happened before an before a recession, but. If if it's an indicator which is three three years ahead of its time, then it's it's not very helpful. Uh, you know, if it's three months, it could be very helpful, but it's neither of those. It's sort of you know it fluctuates, and I think that um, it doesn't happen straight away. And it, and also I think it does depend on the other circumstances at the time. And I think one thing we do have to recognise is that an inverted yield curve, when uh, you know, the Fed funds is six, seven, eight, and the ten-year Treasury is six, seven, eight. Is a very different story than when the Fed funds is two and a half, uh, uh, as it's going to be sometime next year, and the ten-year is two and a half. Mm -hmm. Just the absolute level mm -hmm. is, is is I think telling us is it's a different set of circumstances. We you know I don't think we can automatically say that those two scenarios are identical. You know, a, a 
a 10-year at 8% and a 10-year at 2.5% is a very different animal, I think. And mm -hmm. so I think we just kind of keep an eye on it. But, you know, as we've spoken here for a while, we've been sort of at the shorter end of the yield curve, sort of one and a half to two years for income purposes and still at the 10-year rate for kind of total return purposes and sort of not not going too further out on the maturity, and, uh, and but neither going straight to cash. Let's end on EM. Uh, this is kind of a precursor to our conference call that we're, that's coming up around emerging markets. Um, they were up 2.5% this week. Is this just um, due to the falling dollar and perhaps uh, renewed trade talks? Or what do we see for, for EM in the next couple of months in the foreseeable yeah, future? I think it is. So the dollar was down 1.6%. Emerging markets was up 25 in dollar terms. So that half of it is just the dollar move. But you know that also helps the emerging market story because they tend to do better uh, with a weakening dollar than a stronger dollar, primarily because they've got to pay a lot of their uh, debt obligations in dollars. So I think we're sort of in a, it's still a bit of a holding pattern right now with you know the emerging market story of you know, higher rates, stronger dollar, and trade have not gone away. And those are those are still in the background. And so, uh, you know, I think for emerging markets right now, uh, you know, sitting on the sidelines or as we've done, taking in some protection is still, still not a bad move. Great. Well, more to come on EM. Please join us for that conference call next week. I think an, inv uh, an invite went out th today on that. Thank you very much, Christian. Thank you, Emily. Uh, please note this discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research, investment process, represent our investment, investment strategy, updates for commentaries, subject to notice change without notice. We cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can guarantee that such investments will present the best for attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. It's for general informational purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful as unsuccessful investments by us do not represent all the securities we have purchased or the recommended. Although we deem reliable the source of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy of or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance have no indication of future results.